Hello and welcome to Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast, episode 30. I'm Rory and I'm joined by some other nerds, Ryan. Hello. Carissa. Hey, yeah. And Christina couldn't be here this week. Together we take on this week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go and read your week's books, then come back. Each week one of us picks their favorite book of the week, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I'm that nerd. The pick of the week... Doctor Strange number seven. Hold on. Uh, This week, the pick of the week goes to Doctor Strange number seven. Our companion song for Doctor Strange number seven is Screaming Jay Hawkins, I Put a Spell on You. Why'd you pick that song? Well, because there's this week we've got all this magic in the in the comic list, so it just seemed fitting. I put a spell on you. Cause you're mine. Stop the things you do. Watch out! All right. So you had Doctor Strange. Okay, so this week I had Doctor Seven Number Strange. Doctor Seven Number Strange. Ah, what is wrong with me? Uh, this week we have Doctor Strange Number Seven, Marvel Comics, written by Jason Aaron, pencils and colors by Chris Bacallo, inks by Tim Townsend, Alve, Mark Irwin, John Livesey, Victor Olazaba, and Jaime Mendoza, and everybody else on Earth. So this one is actually part two of Last Days of Magic, which we'll get to the first part after this, but this one was pick. The basic scheme of this is that Doctor Strange keeps finding dead sorcerers supreme, killed off by this group Empirical, basically a force of science fascists. They start off with an origin scene of Lord Imperator, his, where his parents are killed by sorcerers for practicing heretical science. Imperator barely escapes with his life. Flash forward to where he's revealing all this stuff, Doctor Strange, and that they were all, basically the uh, people from his home planet were worshipping this demon Shumagorath, which is like a giant, evil, eyeballed critter. Basically Cthulhu, for all intents and purposes, yeah. It's Marvel's Cthulhu. Yeah, but it's a big fucking giant eyeball with tentacles. Just not bat wings. Lord Imperator reveals that he not only has science, but super science, because, you know, or as I like to call it, super motherfucking science. Science up in this bitch. Science? All right, science. Science! But he's been using that, basically been using super science to chase down Magish, the other... Sorcerer Supremes? They're not Sorcerer Supremes. They're Well, in other worlds they are. Yeah, he's been hunting them. Been hunting down Sorcerer Supremes, which are just sorcerers with you know, sour cream and tomatoes <laughs> on them. There are lots of sorcerers in each world. There's only one sorcerer supreme in each world. Oh, I thought that they were, all were as I was reading through. Doctor Strange is the sorcerer supreme for the 616. Gotcha. And the rest are just like the bean burritos. Yeah, exactly. There's no guacamole, no sour cream. Still pretty tasty. I don't know. The Mexico guy was pretty certain that he said, find it over there in New York, but here, I'm the shit. Oh, sorry, that's the next issue. Oh my god, that was so awesome. But yeah, we gotta hold on on that one. (laughs) Too much good stuff. Oh, too good. Yeah, except for those damn flying sharks. That's also Last Days of Magic. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I tried to move on, but I had to comment. So anyways, uh, Imperator tells him that he's basically trying to get rid of the cancer of magic from the universe. 
All of a sudden, poof, out of nowhere, Monaco appears, talks some shit to Imperator. Imperator tells him that there's no magic left around. And then Monaco says that magic hides itself when it senses, like, danger, essentially, and tells Doctor Strange that he's going to need to find every bit of it that's hiding in the world in order to, like, use it as a weapon against them. And then he casts a teleportation spell. Takes away Doctor Strange and all of his friends. Monaco gets executed by Imperator, and Strange and friends have a conversation about how they need to find all the magic left in the world. And that's kind of where they leave off. This book, I really enjoy. The reason why I picked it is because just, number one, phenomenal artwork. I love the contrast between the black and the white empiricals. It's just all black and white wherever they've been or wherever the magic has been drained out. And then whenever there's magic being used, they kind of contrast that by using actual color on the on the characters and magical items. And anytime they cast a spell, it's just really like kind of like a feast for the eyes. Yeah, the, the coloring helps tell that story. The story was awesome. Well, something we've commented on before. And much like the way we're doing the podcast, I read these in reverse. <laughs> so Me too! I'm not the only one! So it was actually because I was just going down our list. And so this was actually a really good place to jump into the series, even though it's already taken off it was a really good place to jump in it didn't feel like i was missing anything just especially with the 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 origin story of lord imperator um i really loved this what did you guys think oh i loved it oh my god you need to go back and read the others they're all as good as this yeah the one through six that you haven't read yeah i think doctor strange number six is the only unanimous five-star book we've had we loved it i almost get in a contrast with it because the movies being half i feel like oh you're just jumping on the new bandwagon for the new superhero movie but this series really sparked like a fire going oh my god doctor strange like it gets you super excited for it because this particular arc and series has been amazing yeah. it's just really good timing on their part jason aaron can do no wrong the dude is if not the best in the business right now definitely in like the top three probably like him and like brian k vaughn i would say you know you've got a movie coming out so you put your best writer and then chris piccolo is an amazing artist and you put him on there and you're gonna get a damn fine book here and it, it's really good i really like monaco yeah. in this yeah I love the curmudgeon I love it where he's like, you know, this stick killed 97 Nazis. It can kick your ass too. You know, and then just starts wailing on them. Yeah, that was great. And then I like his, uh, when they're like, any last words? He's like, yeah, two of them. Fuck and you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. This whole thing with Monaco in the last couple issues where he's been, everyone's telling him to run. Like there's even a line in here where it's like, run you fool, which reminded me a lot of like Lord of the Rings when they're fighting the Balrog. No, I don't run. I'm an old man. I've fought Nazis. I've, you know, I've done all this. I'm going to die. I'm going to die on my feet fighting, which he's pretty awesome. I, I really like him. It hits all the levels of sacrifice, like all like the main pivotal good storytelling. This, you know, this one, you know, with the flashback was kind of interesting, which I, yeah, I could see Rory's point where it definitely helped him get back into the story, having not read the other one, seeing where the science people are coming yeah. from, because that, that was kind of like a mystery before. Like, we knew that they were against magic, but we didn't know really the reason. Right. But I just love, like, yeah, you have the self-sacrifice and you have the, you know, the revelations of what they can do. I like how you do see that all the people are not dead and they're, like, underground and trapped. And they're even surprised. I mean, here you have the Sorcerer Supreme and he's surprised 
that someone had enough magic to pull a teleportation and none of the spells that they know are working and can work so they have to uh, old fashion their way out of there and I'm sure that's really new for all of them that's going to be some interesting takes Marvel is really good at telling underdog stories it's hard to think about that when they, you know they all have superpowers and stuff X-Men is an underdog story this is back against the wall do or die into the world type stuff and they're they're very good at that and I just I really enjoy that sense of kind of like of desperation and this struggle that they're like the fact that the the librarian is going to go into the cellar that keeps all the food that they've been told never to go into yeah i mean we learned about that and what was it the uh the art of puking without puking i think was the that's the first one first issue one you know it's all tying together the look how the realization of her looking towards the cellar door as like she's trying to think of options what can she do and just the the progression of the panels that then focus on it i was just like oh damn she's gonna go in there well, I like it because she walks past it first, like, nope, not going in there. And then it's like, oh, I guess desperate times, you know, call for desperate measures. You did say pick any door. It's true. <laughs> I really think that the coloring, and we've mentioned this before on this a lot. I mean, the coloring on this book is spectacular. It really lends to the storytelling. Absolutely. Like, it contributes, it tells you a visual story without having to use a lot of words to express, you know, magic in there. So Chris Piccolo is, is a damn, in addition to being a really great penciler, is a great colorist, too. In the art of puking without puking, just like it was all black and white and then that was green like it's been like a theme throughout this whole story and you just can't imagine it without it like it has been pivotal to the storytelling as well as just the words on there like it really carries a lot of weight and that imperator looks really awesome it's a really good design for him yes why was he chewing the cloak i don't know uh, but... well the cloak is a, like a living thing so when he i think it was like at the end of issue six where he like ripped it in half like why he's eating it i have no yeah. idea and Chimogoroth looked pretty cool, too, in that panel where they show the... First, you see, like, the size of the spaceship that he's in, and it's pretty big. And then he goes, like, flying past Chimogoroth, and he's really tiny. And you can see, like, on all his tentacles and stuff, there's, like, cities, like, built into into that. Yeah. So that was a nice little yeah. perspective there that they gave you. So I, I enjoyed it. What did you end up uh, giving it, Rory? Uh, I'm going to give it four giant eyeball demons because, I mean, this... Like I said, I can't really ask for much more than this. I mean, I, I almost want to go five. I'm just going to go with four for now, but it's it's absolutely stellar. Everybody should pick this up and read it. It's fucking phenomenal. What would you give it, Chrissa? I gave it four and a half sticks. Nazi killing sticks. <laughs> I gave it four and a half sellers. Oh, nice. So, like we said, that was that was part two, actually, of the story. But part one is Doctor Strange, Last Days of Magic, number one. And this is by Marvel Comics, obviously. Written by a whole bunch of people. So... There's many. It's a bunch of short stories together, basically. So it's written by Jason Aaron, Jerry Duggan, James Robinson. The art is by Leonardo Romero, Danilo Bayruth, Mike Perkins. Colors are by Jordi, Jordi Belair, Dan Brown, and Andy Troy. So this one, it's interesting. Usually when you have that many creators on a book, I think it tends to be a mess. But this one I felt like was really cohesive. Like, I really felt they all fit in tone with each other. They all told stories that were thematically similar. There were lots of... Every story was, like, my favorite. Like, each one I read, I was like, oh, can't get any better than this. And then, you know, you flip to the next one. You had a really cool one with El Medico Mystico, who's, like, the oh, sorcerer yeah. for Mexico. Yes. There's a lot of things I liked about 
about that one. I like that it's in Spanish and they don't translate it, which appreciate that. But I, I really did like that, that they weren't translating what he was saying. Because I think this is supposed to be a story about Mexico. Because, I mean, that's what he says, like, I am Mexico. So I appreciate that they didn't bother to, to translate it into English. I think it lent to that this is his story. There's a, a magical uh, Sharknado that he summons, which was pretty awesome. I know how much you love sharks, Carissa. So. It was not awesome. It was a little too well drawn. But I did like at one point on one panel when they moved on past that, you see the silhouettes of them still falling yes. in the background. It's raining sharks. That was pretty. That was a nice touch. It's sharktacular. <laughs> then he, you know, summons all the uh, Olmec and Aztec st- uh, giant stone statues, like basically the pyramids, like rip themselves out of the ground and almost like transform into these like golems that he's using to fight them. It's pretty awesome. Then you have Doctor Voodoo story. Who I've seen a lot of Doctor Voodoo stories. I have a quick question though. Yeah. One thing that I couldn't figure out is that even though El Medico Mistico is uh, speaking in all Spanish, I couldn't figure out why the alien fucking robots were speaking English. I don't know. Didn't have their, their translator chip. Yeah, did you like catch that? I'm like, oh, okay, so all aliens speak English? Is that how it fucking works? Why aren't they speaking Spanish? They probably have British accents. They're probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just had to bring that up real quick. Man, I, I'm looking at that panel of the sharks raining down, and I love how you can see, like, basically the mouth of the shark, like, all the way into the shark. <laughs> it's heading down to, like, bite these people. Oh, it's great. But, then, but there's one where they're just kind of, like, in the sleeves, like, way in the background. Yes. You still see silhouettes. Yeah, like, when he's got falling. that uh, stone golem thing, you can see the shark still coming down. So Yeah, it turns into pyramid golem. The next one is Dr. Voodoo, who, I mean, I've read a lot of Dr. Voodoo stories, but I never really understood him that well. I think this story really explains who he is. Feels very New Orleans voodoo. You've got him hanging out with his ghost friends. I like that his laboratory is basically a crypt. So he has all kinds of weird, creepy stuff in that he uses to to fight them off. Like he's got this like hand that strangles people and he has I thought it was like a vial of like mystical blood, but it's not. You find out what it is at at the end of that story that allows him to survive, which I thought was kind of cool. I just, I really enjoyed that story. I thought it was creepy and atmospheric and... I like in these last stands of all these guys that they get to you get to see them being total badasses, like fighting for their life. But it's in all in all the stories, it's not enough though. The empirical are too are still too strong for them. So I, I enjoy that that sense of struggle, and you get to see them shining, and you get to really understand their characters and the way that they fight against it. The one story that I wasn't super crazy about was the story of the temple where uh, Doctor Doom learned his mystical arts. What? Or you did like that one? Yeah, I like that one. I thought it was kind of... I don't like Dr. Doom that much. Well, it's not Dr. Doom. It's Mahatma Doom, right? He's like the monk who's the counterpart. Because like he sees Dr. Doom come in and slaughter his whole temple and become super evil. So he has to like balance that out like karmically. So he's all meditating and peaceful. And basically, he's like, I think, the only one who kind of like wins because he gets the robots to embrace transcendental meditation. I thought that was really it awesome. It kind of conquers him that way. So that was it was it was my least favorite one. Then there was the one about the Wu, which is basically the defender of Hong Kong, basically. It felt very pulp. Very like nineteen thirties pulp was the the feel that I, I got from it. There was a scene that I thought was really cool where the original Wu, who has a really long name that I can't remember. The August Wu of, of the Coral Shores. So she has a daughter that Stephen Strange is basically getting his ass kicked in his like early days. So she she saves him. 
and takes him back to her apartment to like rest and recuperate. And he meets her daughter, who's like this teenager, basically too busy texting and sulking to, to do anything. And she has this kind of like dark hair, uh, unlike her mother, who has red hair. And then there's this scene where she, her mother basically fights and dies. And the girl wakes up in the middle of the night and her hair is red. And she's all super excited about it, that her hair, now she looks like her mom. And she goes in to tell her dad about it. And her dad is just sitting there crying because he knows, he like, he knows what's happened. And I thought that was really effective. I thought there was a really good face acting in those panels basically I, I enjoyed that part i don't know if i read that as excited i was i read it as more like he was shocked and didn't know and was like hey dad well, this happened you know more like kind right. of curious i don't know if i read it as really as like she was excited to like sweet my hair that changed but it was more like oh this happened this is odd let me go ask dad so then she's basically like a two-gun sorcerer like instead of using spells she has them in her guns when she's shooting people so that was kind of interesting and then one that i thought was really more i i laughed when i read this one was about count chaos who i guess apparently ate a magical bear in siberia that gave him powers and he's just brawling with these these guys i, I found that very oh, very amusing the manliest sorcerer of the world <laughs> i like that one a lot that story <laughs> much magical testosterone he speaks in that crappy like stereotypical russian accent like i felt like it was almost like listening to like if like zangief was from like street fighter was had magical powers you know i kill all you robots drink your whiskey take your women Aha. exactly and then it loops back to the end of doctor strange number six where the imperator is like ripping the doctor strange's cloak in half and that's where we see all the people that they've been rounding up basically tied pyres to to burn them for their heresy which is actually where doctor strange number seven the first one reviewed picks up but they're both completely independent of each other like you don't have to have read one to have yes. read the other they, they stand on their own they work better when you read them i mean you guys read them out of order and you still got the story so i think it's it's really strong for a, a tie-in miniseries i ended up giving it four uh, siberian bears i give it four pimbot because he mentions hank pim at the end when he drinks the vial i'm gonna give it four raining sharks no! Sex Criminals, number 15. Image Comics, written by Matt Fraction, and art by Chip Zdarsky. Yes, so I can never pass up a chance to read Sex Criminals. I love it. <laughs> this issue, what, not super is, is exciting, but it did reveal a lot and have a lot of great interpersonal moments, I think. It kind of gave you a lot of insight to a lot of the characters going around. I did love that on the buy page, they kind of continued the meta fourth wall breaking thing where Matt's talking to Chip and it's just like Chip zoning out and then like, oh yeah. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. They've had a little more of that from like the issue before. Chip is really good at that meta fourth wall breaking stuff. So there's the doc is telling John about how Kegel face. Well, Kegel woman was stealing information about his clients and was asked, basically confronting John asking, do you know this person? And of course he recognized the name. He's just like, I got to go. And he just leaves. He realizes the implication, but the doctor wanted to know, well, do you know them? Who are they da, 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 to you? And, all this other stuff and trying to fit the pieces together, but John just leaves. And then you basically see Susie. Suze, my secret comic girlfriend. Don't tell Jessica Drew. Who tells her that he loves her and they're cuddling and it's super cute and I love it. So anyway, but her and the other other doctor, chick lady, they make up, I guess, apparently. They ha they talk it out after the whole showdown, which I was kind of hoping that showdown would go on some more because I kind of loved it. They literally, they're talking it out, but basically Suze is finally um, admitting that she doesn't want to 
Rob Banks anymore. It's not for her. She feels like she needs to tell John and all that. And there's also more fourth wall breaking. I love that one part of the panel. He's like, even though that's the whole point of this book, this is what it's called. Sex criminals. If you don't want to be a criminal anymore. Yeah. I also like where they do, they do this kind of a lot where they do like the black panels where they just describe what they should be drawing. But yeah, basically, so they get home and then the other doctor, John's doctor barges in, the psychiatrist barges in, and then that's where those black panels happen is um, basically saying, imagine this is where they do all the introductions and catch each other up. So, yeah, so there's that. I love that, too. Because, yeah, it does. It passes time, it, you know, things that would happen, but you don't really want to waste pages on. So they just kind of gloss over it. Though at that point is when he sees that cute little, those little mini libraries, and he sees one, and he, I like that it says, like, and no porn, Steve. Like, she has a little note. For the guy who puts the porn in the newspapers or whatever the... In the newsletters, in the, in the <laughs> neighborhood newsletters. I thought that was cute. So Susie's getting her uh, libraries back in a way. The doc shows up, and, he, and it's really funny because he recognizes the porn star. He's like, oh, I like your work. Mentioning the papers that she wrote, and then he's like, I also admire your work. Yeah. <laughs> Was it Jasmine St. Cocaine? Yeah. I think is her porn star name. Yeah. <laughs> this whole time, they're doing flashbacks to Kegel Lady going through her daily life and showing basically how she went into the quiet and stole John's information, like, fully because, you know, she was caught, you know, trying to do it the old-fashioned way. Or come world, as John calls it. Yes, but I'm using Susie's way. The classy way, the lady way. But yeah, but Kegel does her thing. Basically, you get the feeling that uh, she was into the doctor. She was enjoying that uh, that sex, and she can't get him out of her mind, it seems. Like, she's having some questioning thoughts about what she's doing. Because shows are like, you know, with that family at home, and then she's just going, fuck. Because she can't get... She keeps picturing him down on her. So that was interesting. But... She did turn over the information that she got. You do see that. And then the episode, uh, episode, the issue, sorry, ends with the other two, the anime guy and... He's the one with the weird anime girl made out of... Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I remember. It's the other one, the other partner. I don't remember much about him. They also show up at their apartment and they're like, who is this? And they open the door and they punch John. <laughs> and then it's like a standoff. They're like, because they're there because apparently, you know, they're mad. And But it's like, oh, great. Now all their personal information's out. And it's like, it's just not going to step because they keep doing that. They keep going after one another now on a personal level. And it's this whole thing's happening now. Yeah, that was the issue. I thought it was a really interesting insights. It's definitely wasn't like any big plot revelations per se happening in this one. But always still really entertaining because, well, it's Matt Fraction and Chip. So what do you guys think? I agree with you that plot wise... I think like a significant thing happened that they're not criminals anymore, but it was this was much more about character. There's that panel right at the very beginning where they're kind of lying in bed and kind of without thinking, John tells Susie that he loves her. And there's that panel of her eyes when she hears that, where they both just kind of like don't know how to deal with that. And they're like, coffee, let's get coffee and like leap out of bed to go do that. I thought that... I love that though. Well, I mean, you've talked before how you feel like this book is how people realistically interact with each other. So I felt yeah. that scene has a lot of truth in it. I really like mm-hmm. the the facial expression on her. And she's super adorable. She's like one of my favorite people in comics. So I know you. I know you do. For something I forgot to mention. So the part where she does tell him finally that she doesn't want to be a bank robber or a criminal and he basically thinks she's breaking up with him that's actually a big part of this issue I totally skimmed over it but it actually happens to be my favorite and because she just words it horribly like most people do <laughs> she words it in a way where it's not you it's me it totally sounds like she's breaking up with him but she's not because she you know they love each other and basically they clear it up but the part it's a reoccurring thing in this series where it's like that man that guy that girl 
that guy, that girl, and they it's like the sums up their love, like that yep. guy. You know, it's like I love it, and I love that they reuse that, and it just shows that's kind of like their everything's okay line. And I also I really like. I didn't think I'd ever feel sympathy for. I didn't know the character has an actual name, but her cagle face. There's like that scene where she's kind of sitting in the bathroom like by herself, and she looks so sad. I actually felt sorry for her for like a panel, and then I remembered that she's a total bitch. I thought that exact <laughs> same thing. Like, oh, hell no, you're yeah. not making me feel sorry for her. And then I just, I felt there were lots of little, like, quiet moments like that that the, the book excels at. I liked it. I mean, I like Sex Criminals. I think Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky are pretty much a perfect creative team. They're in such sync with each other. You know, Chip does the art. I mean, he also writes, like, he writes Howard the Duck. I mean, he, so he's he's multi-talented. Here, I think that they're in total, total alignment with each other. They have a bromance going on, seriously. So, Rory, this is your first visit to the world of Sex Criminals. Oh, what did I think? You're probably very confused because it doesn't explain what the quiet is. Hate it. You're like the wacky morning DJ of the podcast. Totally. I didn't even hear what it said, still. It's the hated it from In Living Color. Hated it. Men on film. Oh. Yeah. Wow, you are. You need to read the rest of them, I think. This is not a good one to get in. He, got, he jumped into his DeLorean, went 88 miles an hour, back, to, back in time to get that joke and bring it forward. Back to 1990. They stopped time by orgasming. It's amazing. I don't know if you remember, from around that same time, there was a, a TV show called Out of This World, where this girl could stop time by touching her fingers together. This is the same idea, but it's not fingers that they touch together to stop time. I'm sorry. Of course, I haven't read the entire series, but I mean, there's going to be people that are going to be picking this up, right? Partway through the series. I do dig the artwork. It's pretty nice. It's definitely a nice, smooth artwork. It's simple, yet it does a lot. The storyline, I'm sorry, but it was like dragging nails across chalk for me. It was like watching an episode of Friends, which I hate Friends. Of course, I'm just jumping into this right off the bat. There was nothing that was interesting to me, you know, because I don't know the backstory of the characters, but we've talked about it before on previous podcasts. A good comic book should be something that you could jump in on the middle of, because who wants to go back, you know, 300 issues to to figure out what the fuck's going on? I can see that as a valid criticism, because it's it's very character heavy. Mm. I think a lot of Image comics, you do kind of have to read them. They're not so much... I mean, I understand the nature of comics are serial, but I feel like a lot of the Image comics are not. They are definitely telling a broader story, you know? They're, They're chapters more than... Because I think most Image comics are not intended to run forever. They have, like, a story they're going to tell. So it's six issues, 30 issues, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. They have a set. It's like a freight train going down. Like, there's... They don't need it to continue forever. They don't revisit yeah. and explain a lot each issue. To put it in perspective for somebody who does... Who is interested in this series, I, I would say don't just go jumping in the middle. This is not the one to do it in. It was definitely uh, confusing, and for me, I could see how it could be. I don't know. I, I got to start from the beginning, so uh, that'd be my point of advice is just, if you're new to this, well, then start off with number one, uh, because otherwise you you won't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> Luckily, there's trade. Here's what you can do to tell if you're going to like sex criminals without having to understand the plot. Did you read the letters column? <laughs> the letters column? What the fuck? The things in the back. So at the end of the book, there's letters that people write in. It's called Letter Daddies. Nobody reads the articles. Come on. Oh, no, no, no. That's like the best part of the book. (laughs) They have an entire book they put out of just the letters called Just the Tips. Oh, my God. This was a cum sock. That's the first thing that I turned to as I flipped this thing open. This was a cum sock. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So read the letter column. And if you like that, and if you think that's worth your time, 
go back and read the series because that nails the tone of the series without being plot The letter dependent. column in this series, seriously, is one of the best parts of the book. Like, I was going to mention the part where he talks about making a Just a Tip 3D version, <laughs> like a pop-up book version, is like the best thing. I'm like, this needs to happen. But then he says he doesn't want to do it for issue two. He would want to do it for the third one because 3 3D. Like, <laughs> this needs to happen. I want a pop-up book. <laughs> Did you see the thing about the coloring book? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I just love okay. Chip. He's awesome. I'll have to adjust my uh, my rating eventually because after reading this, it definitely improves my opinion. <laughs> yeah. It's worth exactly. checking out. I can understand how you'd have a hard time jumping in in the in the middle, but it's it's worth. Uh, and even I said this was a slow issue yeah. for the series. So what did you end up giving it, Carissa? I gave it. I want. I'm going to give it a four, probably four Kegel faces, because of the fact the same that you had where I'm like. No, no, no. Do not make me feel sympathy for her because I don't like her. But there was, and I mean, that, and that just says there's good storytelling. So, four Kegel faces. I will give it three and a half. It's not you, it's me. You know, I was I was going to slam it to a two given that I like the art, but the story didn't really catch me. But you know what? I'm going to boost it up. I'm going to give it three and a half cum socks. <laughs> The letter column wins him over. <laughs> That's all you had to mention. You you got to my heart when you started talking about cum socks. Someone get that guy a copy of Just the Tip. I like the the silent issue with where it's fat bottom girls. That the entire issue oh, is yeah. just her dancing on the pool table to the song, but they couldn't get the rights to the lyrics for it. So, so they explain yeah. it. It's pretty awesome. That's my favorite issue by far. They imply that that's what she's singing and dancing to, but they talk. It's all it's like boxes over the, the lyrics, bubbles yeah. explaining how they couldn't get the right. It's very clever. Yes. They do the meta stuff really well in the book. You had something an anniversary one from Dark Horse for us, Rory. Aliens. Defiance number one, Dark Horse Comics, written by Brian Wood, art by Tristan Jones, colors by Dan Jackson. Now, in this one, we start off with Private First Class Zula Hendricks. She's a colonial marine riding in a drop ship with a bunch of freaking synthetics that are owned by Waylon Utani. They're basically flying to this ship that's just floating around. It's got like atmosphere spewing out of it, out of the side when they come up. She's there basically to provide a key code to transfer the, the, the flight recorder data. Once they're inside she's talking with a synthetic and that's showing quite a, like a lot of interest in like the ship recordings you know what happened on the ship that killed off the uh, the crew that was in there suddenly they realize that the screams that they're hearing on the audio aren't from the recordings but that's the actual their own unit so they run out and the other synthetics are in this gunfight with these with uh, these xenomorphs the xenomorphs are just kicking their asses the synthetic that she was with earlier tells her to basically run and get to the drop ship but she trips and cracks the dome on her space suit. Uh, she passes out, wakens up 27 days later where she's met by that same synthetic she was with earlier who's uh, designation Davis and he explains to her that the things that they found were called xenomorphs they're basically like these superior life forms, uh, highly intelligent, extremely dangerous, extremely adaptive and uh, Weyland Utani, the evil corporation of the universe planned on bringing them to Earth and weaponizing them so Davis at that point decides to ignore orders for the good of humanity and pretty much everybody including the synthetics disobeys orders and decides to backtrack to where the ship came from, which is LV-4440, which should sound familiar to anybody who's familiar with the movies, and snatch up the files regarding the Xenomorphs before Wayland yutani can, because obviously Wayland yutani can pretty much eliminate the evidence that they did anything bad if they if they get those and hide those. This, oh man, this one, it's funny because there's some, I'm always talking about the artwork in comic books, because there's some art that's like really clean, and there's some art that's like 
kind of dirty and sometimes it looks good and sometimes it looks bad. This, it's funny because it kind of like brings me back to like the the 80s Dark Horse comics feel. You know, it's like the, the artwork is sloppy but intentionally so and that kind of brings that grittiness to the comic book. Uh, I really liked it. It really had like the feel to the movie, the cinematics of the movie really brought out in this comic book. I really enjoyed this one. It's definitely a good start and just totally had me wanting more right off the bat. I love the lead character. It's a really interesting twist having all these synthetics running off and kidnapping kidnapping this private and I don't know I'm, I'm curious where they're going to go with it it's I, I was really really enjoyed this one what do you think Carissa? At first I was like oh I don't really like this artwork style it looks this really I mean it did look dirty and this kind of sloppy then the more I started reading the issue I was like okay now it, it actually fits and then I end up liking it more but at first it was kind of off-putting and about the art did you guys notice that when they draw the ships the ships are super clean like the outside of the ships is super crisp yes. and defined but then like mm-hmm. thank you for bringing that up because uh, i was meaning to say that but i forgot to but yes the those are some damn fine looking ships too the the space scenes are really clean yeah so it's obviously intentional and also it was also kind of slow for me at the beginning i just was kind of like mm, okay aliens what can they do when it gets to the point where she's woken up again I was like oh I, then it really caught my interest and then I'm like this actually does have a feel the feeling of that universe more to me after that point and I really started to get drawn in and hooked and curious what was going on so yeah it definitely grew on me I am more intrigued with the synthetics in that universe they can go either way they're either really loyal to either side like kind of like that wild card in the universe especially in most of the series films um, you know if they're going to be on your side or they're going to turn on you and be a traitor you don't know if they're a company man or a you know obviously this one's just called defiance and it seems like that's what they're doing you never know and i think that really adds to the story i was really impressed with this one usually when i see licensed comics i'm thinking that they're not going to be that good you know because all you got to do is slap aliens on the cover of it right and it's going to sell cover many copies but this one went like above and beyond this one is really good brian wood is a great great writer i think that that defiance theme really runs through it because you've got Zula who's like injured and can likely barely walk and is in like physical therapy which I thought was a really an interesting angle to take on there it's not necessary to tell the story but it's a detail that makes kind of like all the difference in just being a paint by numbers you know alien story and one that actually has real characters in it and then you also have that defiance theme like you were saying Carissa with the synthetics so I, I liked that there was that strong thematic link there i also liked there's there's a part my favorite part in the aliens movie is where they have like the hallway with like the machine gun set up and they have the the counter that's ticking down as it's firing at all the xenomorphs that are coming and that's the sense that i got when they were listening to the recordings and they said like turn it off because there's like this sense of danger that's out there but you don't necessarily see it and what you don't see that's one thing that alien is really good at is you don't see until the moment of action or horror, there's like this sense of dread that builds. And I thought this did pretty good at that. I mean, I got everything I expected from it. There were aliens, there were gunfights, there were spaceships, and all that was awesome. But I also felt like there were there were much stronger characters than I thought there would be in here. Much better thematic plots. The ships just look amazing. Like, the space scenes are, are really, really good. And I'm actually interested in the plot. Like, I feel like it's expanding the universe in a way that I'm interested in. So I, I really enjoyed this far more than I thought I would. Yes, totally. That's the way I felt about it. I've seen a lot of these things, and I've seen some that are really good, and I've seen a lot that are fucking awful. And so you know, I was excited to get it because I do love, you know, aliens, predators, aliens versus predators. I, you know, I was kind of cautious going into it, not really sure what I was going to get. 
and man, was I glad that I did because this just was really great. Once again, comic genius, you know, and it's funny how like they can just work something that's such simple artwork in and make it really just stand out and, and pass that mood. The artwork kind of reminded me of the visual style of the movies, right? Because, like, before the first Alien movie, space was so crisp and clean. You know, like, 2001 is Space Odyssey and Star Trek and, like, even the Imperial, like, Star Wars was all pretty crisp and neat and almost like upper-class space. But then Alien and Aliens was, like, working-class people in space doing actual jobs. These are construction workers and oil drillers and, like, Marines. Like, these are these are the boots on the ground of space. And I think that that, art, that dirty art style in here kind of echoes that. At least to me, that's what it made me think of. Whenever you look at a computer screen, it's got that weird, dirty 1980s black and green color to it. Just the overall filming, it's like everything looks gritty and dirty and nasty. I loved it. Everybody should pick this up. It's fucking awesome i give it four screaming synthetics uh i gave it three and a half i was gonna use synthetics i'll give it three and a half xenomorphs i think they saved one of the better stories for the anniversary and i think that was a really good call on their part they didn't like half-ass it so i gave them three and a half ripley appearances that part i felt was kind of gratuitous like i could have done without that i think i think that's exactly what it was it was gratuitous so I had a book from DC Comics. I had Batman number 51, written by the amazing Scott Snyder, pencils by Greg Capula, inks by Danny Mika, colors by Eco Placencia. I don't, you guys probably have not been on Batman since issue one, but this one, I actually had to go and reread issue one of Batman because when I was reading this, I was like, this really mirrors issue one in that thematic device they use where they do the, like, the Gotham is. And then they have, like, all different things that Gotham is. Issue one, you know, which is 50 issues ago, does the exact same thing. And there's a point in the story where you meet the person who writes those articles. So this, basically the the last or second to last issue that Scott Snyder is doing on his Batman run that he's done for, for 50 issues now. And for my money is, if not the greatest run of Batman, within the top two or three. Like, I personally, I would only put the original Dark Knights up against it. I think that he is a master of Batman and understands that character so, so well. So this story is basically, it's a quiet night for Batman. It's basically his night off. So he's going and he's, he can't really accept that, you know, nothing's happening, that there's no danger. So he's going and checking on all the things that he normally would have to, to deal with. So this is kind of his, you know, going to Arkham Asylum to check on things and patrolling around. And there really, there's nothing that's that's happening. This this issue to me is kind of like, almost like, like a love letter to the fans for having read the whole run. Like there are callbacks that, that have happened that make you realize that this isn't a bunch of arcs that are, you know, little six-issue arcs that have been linked together. This is one continuous story that's gone on for, for 51 issues now, and it's, it's great. There's a there's a sense kind of that he's putting a lot of the pieces back uh, for the next person to pick up and use. Like, Alfred has his hand back after the Joker cut it off. So there's that. Then there's also, to me, my, my favorite scene in the book is where Bruce is, is basically, I can't, is he getting dressed or undressed? But anyway, he's got his shirt off, and Alfred sees his back after he went into to be regenerated. He doesn't have any scars on it, and Alfred just basically is amazed by that. That I just thought that was really like a touching scene that you know Alfred has seen him broken and beaten and cut and burned and seen all these things that happened to him, and now he's been basically reborn, you know, faster and stronger because he doesn't have all these injuries. And Alfred has to kind of watch him go out and do it all over again. So I thought that was a really a nice little scene there. 
I also enjoyed the, all the different versions of the Batmobile with like yeah. the holograms that you can put on top of it. That was awesome. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. There's also really cool scenes where there's like this crouch that Batman does when he lands that like no one else can pull off quite the same way. There's a great scene where he does that. There's a, a really nice scene where you have all of the Batman villains because there's, there's like a power outage, right? So Batman is convinced that, you know, the city is going to send into chaos. And you basically have all of the Bat villains who are, you know, not tonight. Like, they're waiting for something to happen, which I thought was kind of interesting. They also have, like, Cape has this purple lining now, which is, is to me, is kind of weird. I do like there's a line where the uh, Arkham inmates are like, is, does your, is your cape purple? And he's like, come closer and find out. I thought that was... Oh, yeah, I think that was Croc. Oh, I was going to mention that. You take all the good stuff. <laughs> to me, the main point of the book is where you meet the guy who writes the Gotham Is articles. And he was like, the first arc that Batman beat up, but he didn't kill him. And that made a big impression on the guy and basically made him turn his life around. So I, I think this one is like a nice little reflection on the run of Batman that he's done and just tying a nice little bow on it as a, as a present to the readers. Art's amazing. The writing's great. I, I love it. I love Scott Snyder's Batman. Am I the only one who thinks that that writer looks like Christian Bale? I didn't really pick up on that. There's certain Christian Bale movies where he's like scruffy like that with the beard and everything and the crazy like wild eyes. And I'm like, it looks like they did a screenshot and drew that on one of, on one of the panels like like i swear i've seen that picture before which would be nice if they thought he made a good batman they paid a little homage in the comic book to make it look there's also a really uh, scene that's like in just like in profile basically where gordon and batman are talking which i, I also really enjoyed that's the panel you posted Rory posted that, yeah. Yes. But I'm not going to turn around because I know you're not going to be there one. In uh, Arkham, where you have like his whole rogues gallery in their like scrubs, basically. <laughs> I like that panel too. Yeah, that was awesome. What did you guys think of it? You honestly hit a lot of the points I was going to mention. Basically, my favorite scenes were the beginning with him and Alfred because I really, I've always really liked Alfred as a character. I think the dynamic and like how touching it can be really comes across and I think this one and there was another one you had us read recently that was also... I think that was either 49 or 50 where he had to put him in the machine to turn him from Bruce Wayne into Batman. Yeah, yeah, so those tender moments with Alfred I really enjoy and I like and I think it it just adds like heart to the character where it isn't always necessarily there I guess in Batman I want to say. <laughs> Not a lot of heart sometimes. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a night off. I don't, at least I don't think Batman would think of as a night off. I think it's more as he thought something was coming and happening and there just wasn't. It just was a normal blackout. He thought things were going to happen so he was looking for things. But I thought that sense of foreboding like should we do something like all those like that there's there's definitely something like building and I thought that but it's like a slow burn but you can almost kind of feel it like something is happening and is growing but it's not tonight. I really did like that. I actually piqued my interest. I'm like oh I actually might want to read Batman. What's going on with that? I mean I do like Batman. Of all the DC ones Batman is the one that I would I have read regularly than any of the other ones. He said, like, the purple cape thing. I was like, I love that. That was my favorite. Like, I, I'm like, man, he mentioned it. I was like, that was my favorite, one of my favorite parts. And now that the capes always have a, usually have a different color lining just for, like, coloring wise. I mean, even, like, right. in TV, Adam West, his was two different colors, like, gray and blue or whatever, you know. So I think it's usually typical, like, in the cartoon series, also black and gray. So it's more of a grayish with a purple undertone. I wouldn't say purple, but the fact that someone could call it purple to be funny, and I really like that. And I like just like them all together. Like, oh, it's a massive Batman villains just kind of hanging out. Well, obviously they weren't hanging out there in Arkham and that's where they're all at. But it was a nice panel of them all drawn together. And I don't know those villains with the weird mask in the underground with like the weird white mask. Oh, the Court of Owls. 
Devils. The one with the white. See that? I didn't know who they were, but I'm like, ooh, those are sinister looking. That's the, the first arc with Batman where basically the Court of Owls understands the city better than he does. Men have been there since, you know, the beginning, and they have, like, their whole group of assassins. And Go back and read it. It's really good. And whoever the, the, the chubby blonde chick is, she's pretty cool. Yeah, then I wasn't sure who she was, because I think that's Penny 2, but that's not what Penny 2 looks like, which is Alfred's daughter. Yeah, they kept on saying Penny over and over. My- she's like, mm, MI, is it MI6? In general, I really liked this one. I thought it was really neat, and I thought that guy looked like Christian Bale. What do you think, Rory? Uh, awesome, awesome night. I kept on expecting as it was going on and on, it's like, okay, where's you know where's the craziness going to happen? Because it's Gotham. Something bad's going to happen, right? And it just doesn't at the end. It's like, I feel like it's like Ice Cube's good day, you know? It's like, today was a good day. <laughs> I almost feel like it's like Batman is almost like kind of one in this one. That there can be a blackout and nothing bad happens because he's, yeah. he's done his job. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because, you know, he's got, you know, the scene with the penguin and, and Black Mask. Black Mask's like, oh, we could do this right now. And he's like, no. But then it's like Batman's right on top of him around the corner. They just don't know it. So it's kind of funny because it's like as they're showing everything that's going on, it's like in most cases, like Batman's already there or he's close by or he's on his way so yeah it, it's really like a victory of batman sailing all over the city but he ain't got to do you know so it was a good day <laughs> there's a panel that you guys probably if you haven't been reading it probably didn't pick up on it's right after that scene with black mask where there's the guy with the purple flower who gets like bit on the neck by like a mosquito he's like not yet not this night that's the joke so when batman and the joker basically killed each other and batman got regenerated the joker did too but the joker hasn't made the decision to become the Joker oh. yet again. I guess that was who that was, but I didn't know why. I just, he kind of had that look. Yeah, he's got that nose, you know? Wondering about that. I was just like, the mosquitoes a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's all the flies and mosquitoes around him, yeah. Awesome uh, run. Unfortunately, I haven't been here through number one, but this definitely makes me want to go fall back and uh, go from the beginning. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in uh, in Batman history, so pretty awesome to see the Cape Crusader. So I really like this one. I ended up giving it four and a half purple capes. I gave it three and three quarters. Alfred's a sweetie. I'm going to give it four and a half bats flying out of the cave. Now on to something different. (laughs) I had Insects number five by Aftershock Comics, written by Marguerite Bennett, art by Ariella Dania, color by Brian Valenza. So I like Insects. Everyone knows that. It's the sexy changing time, like in Gaslight London. This issue was, I got a little confused near the end. I'm not gonna lie. Because um, they're trying to explain how the hag worked. And so I was confused by the locations, even though they were labeling them. Basically, they learned that the Fino, or the you know the green werewolf guy from the issue before that they have trapped, he has a real name. I'm just gonna call him werewolf because that Sino, whatever they want to call it, I'm just gonna butcher <laughs> it. So green werewolf boy is part of a brotherhood that is set out to send them. And he can smell that the girls are different, but he doesn't know what they are. And he agrees... They basically they agree to work together and they go and he takes them to like a sacred cemetery, I guess, blessed ground. And he meets with this other brotherhood and they talk it out and basically say that they've been hunting this the hag all this time. And they kind of explain more how she works and operates. Um, basically, anyone who's weak and has an opening, they can this thing can go in and take them over and it'll be their host body and stuff like that. At the same time, their butler explains how He's been reading the news, but not telling the lady ship that what's been going on, thinking she's too frail, which is very typical for the time period. You know, he thinks that she would have hysteria or something. Basically, he came to the conclusion that the butcher is really 
a combination in the news of three people, which is one part her, one part the werewolf, and the other part the actual hag. Yeah, that they're all getting mixed together, yeah. Yeah, they're all being mixed together and called the butcher, but really it was the two of them, well... The lady ship killing people because she's protecting women and children. The werewolf killing people basically for the same reason, but also trying to hunt down the hag. And the hag just killing people because she's crazy evil bitch. It shows the brother-in-law going to a brothel that he says he found the address in his brother's possessions. The madam... This is where I got confused. The madam looks like the sister-in-law or is the sister-in-law. It looks like. She possesses the sister. That's where it's, that, that was my confusion, because later on, the sister-in-law goes crazy at the end, right? And gets torn up. But that's why I was confused, because I'm like, but then she revealed that it looks very much similar to the madam, and I wasn't sure if they were... Yeah, I think they could have done a better job of making them look slightly different. Like, you know, give yeah. them a different hair color or something, you know? Yeah, that was my where I got confused. But Mariah says that she thinks that she can track where the hag is or what's going to happen, but she needs to get her sexy time on to do it. Or her intimate time. Her cult of ecstasy magic, yeah. Yeah, her ecstasy magic. And you know, all the brothers are like, um, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> they had no complaints, it seemed. They get down to their um, their naked sexy time. This wasn't as good as the ones in issues before. It wasn't as detailed or as long. I, I, I felt the same way. I was like, man, that's the best part. Okay, fine. It was just them naked and cuddling, basically. And kind of a hand between her legs, you kind of saw. That was about it. Basically, she sees that the sister-in-law has an axe and is sneaking up behind the doctor holding their son. And, you know, and it's like saying creepy nursery rhymes and stuff. They uh, fly to the rescue. They bust out the firefly and butterfly wings and they have at. And, you know, that part is gratifying, the, the, the fight, you know, like her tearing them apart and stuff like that. But I don't, I think the hat must have gone back to the madam because after the body was destroyed I think so in too. that way but basically her secret basically got outed to everyone by that point at least in the household they all saw her as mantis face and there's no really going back from that i don't think yeah i, I felt this one it tried to explain a lot more than in previous issues but i mean in doing so like you're saying i mean the main point of the book their sexy time communing or whatever it is they're doing was i think cut short because i think that would normally be like four pages basically you know and this was like too so that that got cut short i did think that they they do monster mouths really well like there's a scene like in the beginning where the werewolf guy is chained up and it really reminded me a lot of like the howling when he's halfway transformed basically yeah i really like how he looks how they draw him and the hag in the on the madam in the um against the brother was really good just like the mouth just the creepy Mm -hmm. like maw that she had when she wasn't fully transformed was creepy as hell and you can see like it like ripping like her flesh because her mouth is bigger he is drawn so creepy and they also have like her like in silhouette where she's like flying looks Mm -hmm. pretty awesome too but I don't know this one to me I thought was one of the weaker yeah it was was weaker I mean I feel like I got a little bit more information but it definitely felt weaker it wasn't as like shocking or as fun, I guess. It's, it's more, I feel like a transition, kind of, almost in a way, because mm-hmm. now they'll know. I feel like more is going to happen later, which doesn't really do much for this issue. I'm like, oh, yay, more is going to happen later, but this issue's kind of, mm. So all of, a lot of things that I like about it weren't in this issue. I still think a lot of the artwork is pretty creepy, and I'm still interested in it. I just wish there was more sexy time and more gruesomeness that normally is in it. 
A sexy time in monsters. That's what yeah. this book is about. <laughs> and we got kind of shorted yeah. on both of them. More were- more green werewolves, more sexy time. Rory, this is a new adventure uh, jo- for you. First of all, can I just say that I... I would like for my superpower activation to be somebody giving me a handy. You know, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Just crank start you. Yeah, I mean, hey, if, if you're going to have some sort of weird activation thing for your superpowers, why not have somebody be jacking you off? Or I'm just saying, if you like that, you should really read the other issues because they are way better. Way more graphic. I get ahead of ourselves here. Now, I'm not going to quite give it a, like, a hated it, you know, that kind of thing. I do think, okay, I, I have mixed feelings on this. I dig the artwork. I'm not super, like, excited about it, but they, like you guys said, it's like they do draw some great mouths, and, like, a lot of the fighting-type scenes were pretty nifty. There were parts of it that I enjoyed, and there were parts of it that I didn't. I felt the story was slow and dragging and, uh, I don't know, almost trying too hard. I mean, I, of course, I haven't read the whole series, so I'm just kind of jumping in here in the uh, deep end. But yeah, it was just, I don't know, there was a lot of aspects of it that just were just slow and boring, and I felt like it was an over-attempt at being fancy. I don't know. I sometimes think the slow is almost on purpose to get that feeling of propriety that is in, like, Victorian gaslight like London, you know, that time period. It's very, like, prim and proper, and things move at a certain pace. Yeah, but again, like we said, this issue wasn't its best. But yeah, I mean, in this book, like when the when the sex happens, it's like explosive, you know, when, when it happens. Explosive. No, it really is. Like when they're in like the little garden and they're like, oh, no, I've seen it's like all movies. prim and proper. And then suddenly it's like, you know, hike up that hoop skirt. We're, you know, we're going to town here. Yeah, there's one where they're getting it on in a hedge maze and it is hot. That's the one I'm thinking of. So the prison one was very, very detailed. Yes. I guess I'll just have to wait for the next issue or, or go back back. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's also not really like all my genre and stuff like that. I, I don't know. Just for me, it, it wasn't wasn't horrible, but for me, it just didn't really, really grab me. Sure. What did yeah. you end up giving it, Carissa? I gave it a good, like, three and a half moz. It wasn't up there with some of the other issues, but I still think it was readable, and I find it interesting. I just like the, like, opposite of Rory, I like the genre. Period, changeling, sexy time, you know? It's kind of my thing. I gave it three xenocephalophilia, which is their name for the werewolves. Oh. Way to be all fancy. Fancy time. Okay, what the fuck is that? I gave it two and a half hand jobs. Uh, I like the I like the artwork. It, it wasn't anything super special, but it wasn't. It was pretty cool in many points. Storyline didn't really grab me, but I'm also jumping in on the deep end. So yeah, two and a half hand jobs. So I had uh, another book from Image. I had Saga number thirty six. Uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Fiona Staples. This one had so many parts in it that I really, really liked. Uh, first of all, Fiona Staples' art is is spectacular, that she can draw things so, so well. And there's always something in there that you haven't seen before. And this had so many parts in it that I I loved. I loved that we finally got to see Gus and his chopper doing some chopping. You know, <laughs> I really liked that. This issue was, had so many things that reminded me of why I love Saga. Yes, there was, I don't like the reporters. That's the one thing that I'm not super crazy about in the book. But I liked, there's a couple panels that just like reach out and just like grab your heart. There's the scene where, where they're finally like reunited, where Hazel like comes out of the box and sees like Marco there. And it's just a panel of them, of them like hugging each other. And it's just like daddy, daddy, mm-hmm. daddy. 
because she's like so happy to see her. Well, because he was worried that she wouldn't remember who he was. And so, oh, heartbreaking. And then there's like that. There's also a really the the face acting in this in this book. Like the expressions are so well done. Like there's that panel where she comes out of the box and she sees him. Like that kind of like wide eyed like shock. Like she can't can't quite believe what she's seeing. Then there's that scene of them hugging that just is just rips your heart out. It's so great and it's so rewarding because we've seen how long have we waited through this to to see that to see them reunited together. And then, like I said, I love Gus. Gus is one of my favorites. Poor Frendo got taken down, and Gus uh, just loses his shit and starts to... He chops off uh, that guy's hand and gets knocked out. I really enjoyed that. But Frendo is only... They they do say Frendo's not dead. He's just knocked out. Yeah. I mean, when I first when I saw it, I thought he was dead. But I mean, you're right; they do say that he would, he's yeah. not killing anybody. I also like the yeah. uh, absolute insanity of of the guy that he has all of his his lovers and like relatives like in his mind talking to him. You see just how how crazy he is. Then there's also that kind of moment where like the his mom chooses to stay behind on the the prison, you know, because she feels like she she fits in there and she can do something there. I also like the scene where he's like, "Mom, you have tattoos," you know, where she's got like her little prison dagger on her face you know i like that and then i like the uh the other person who's like well if you're not going to take the portal and just like books through it you know and then of course she doesn't understand what's going on so she sees uh, alana there and they start fighting and then marco comes through and tells explain to her what's going on and then what i felt was the last panel i I don't i don't know if i don't really want to spoil what happens here but something really big uh, Mm -hmm. happens in the last panel and the thing that I love about that panel is they get the news and the expression on each of their faces is completely different and tells two different stories of what they think about what's happening. One, one person's shocked. One person's really happy. But I don't think that the shock doesn't necessarily mean he's not happy. He's just... No, I, I think the next, you know, if there was one more panel, he would be happy too. But he's like, he's... He knows the trouble that it will bring because it yeah. it's already brought in kind of thing. So I thought that was a great last panel. So I guess they're going on a, you know, a summer hiatus and then they'll be back. No. Another, yeah, another saga break. So if you like saga, this would be a damn fine time to go back and read the rest of saga. If you like this one, but maybe you were a little confused, you will not be disappointed if you go back and read saga. It is probably hands down the best comic out there right now. In my opinion, dude, I know that other prison chick is. She's gonna be trouble because she was already kind of like flirting with Marco when he first showed up, and then she follows him back. And they don't need more of the people get involved in their shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's our. We've already done that, Brian. Are you listening, Brian Kavon? We've already done that cycle. We don't need more of that. Yeah, we don't need more of drain eyes, horny people. (laughs) I feel like that's what's gonna be happening, but I hope a lot of like. I hope they've learned from that. I really did like the one that you're talking about, his uh, mind being broken, where he's seen both his his sister or his brother. It's his androgynous uh, relative. I'm not sure. I think it's his sister who looks like a... Oh boy, yeah, androgynous. But it's like half that and half... Oh, that panel where it's like half of the spider face and half of her? It's the two of them together and like this shows us how broken it is. I really like how that was drawn. And yes, Gus. Oh, Gus was like... I was like, no! (laughs) Like first I was like, Yay, go Gus and I'm like, No, don't Poor friendo. Poor Gus. And what's with a dog like shooting like darts out of his nose? That's Well, each of the companion animals seem to have something yeah. special that they're bringing. Lion cat. Because that is his his relative's dog, right? That's, yeah, yeah. That's where he got it from. And then it's not actually in the comic, but in the letter column they mention more merchandise coming for Saga, which makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. I was when I was at the comic book store last because they someone um 
had the pre-order thing for the plushy lion cat they said that um and, we, and the girl happened to be wearing the lion cat shirt the one that i have been looking for for years and never been able to find in my size that i guess brian k Vaughn, they this is what they said i don't know if it's true they said brian k Vaughn originally said he wasn't gonna do any merchandising for the comic he only did the shirts to run for the people who got in at the beginning as like a thank you. I mean, obviously with the plushie coming out and some other stuff, I hope I'm re- I'm really hoping he changed his mind because well, there is potential in things that I want. I'm not feeling the yeah, plushie that much. It looks kind of weird. It doesn't look it doesn't look quite right. I don't really. I rather have like a figurine or like a cold cast statue or something. Well, it says the sagashop.com. Cool T-shirts, statues, other creations. Fans of Gus are in for a treat so check it out see what they got buy it yes because i've been wanting a lion cat shirt for a while now <laughs> so rory this was again one of those kind of jumping into the deep ends on a, a book what did you well it's kind of interesting because uh you know yeah this is a it, it's another jumping into the deep end yeah. uh so it's a little bit confusing for me but here's what i am going to say the artwork i fucking love the artwork in here it's common but you know uh it it's clean it's very just pretty it, it really captures like this mythical feel to it 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 really kind of like draws you in like even if you don't know what the fuck's going on with all this shit i mean really that alone has got me interested enough to actually want to go drop back and check out the rest of the series as far as like the story and stuff you know i'm not really in on everything so and yeah it's like at one point or another it's like why is there a like baby seal riding a walrus with a fucking golden at least you identified that it's a seal. Yeah, yeah. I was like, somebody's going to come along and beat him over the head pretty quick and turn him into a jacket. <laughs> yes, it's a, he's a, he looks like a harp yeah. seal, baby. But, you know, like you're saying about the art, Fiona Staples' art is just, yes. it's in a, a world all its own. I really like, like, if you look at, like, the first page, Brian K. Vaughn gives her top oh, wow, billing awesome. on this book. It's Fiona Staples' Brian K. Vaughn. Nice. It's not Brian K. Vaughn, Fiona Staples. And usually it's writer than artist. And that's changed. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It's it's, it's top notch. Very beautiful. Yeah, I've heard him gush about her. He is clearly a fan. <laughs> the thing to keep in mind about this, like we've seen other books that have like sixteen people doing the art, right? This is all one person yeah, which is doing the art. She's doing the the pencils, the the inking, the coloring, everything. Definitely cool. I, like I said, I, it makes me want to drop back uh, just because. Yeah, it, it's good to look at. I mean, can't go wrong there, right? <laughs> There's amazing trades out for it, so it's, it's a lot easier to catch up. Yep, I got the Saga hardcover oh, nice. for Christmas. It's one of my Christmas gifts. I love it. So I gave it four and a half friendos. I gave it four and a half Hazels because she's adorable. I'm going to give it three walrus riding see It's Gus and Friendos. Gus! Gus! <laughs> He's the most like adorable three, little badass. Three and a half uh, creepy uh, topless spider women. Uh, <laughs> ah. <laughs> Read the first arc. <laughs> There's another one. Yeah, it, it, it was good. I just need to know more about it. But, it, I mean, I, I got a feeling that this this one's phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, I believe that we're supposed to make a quick reference to what was Christina's other pick while we're here. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, Christina had chosen Angela, Queen of Hell, number seven, mm-hmm. I believe. Final. Which is the last issue of Angela, Queen of Hell. It's also by Marguerite Bennett, uh, who did Insects. And this has been a book that... To me, I would have never read if Christina had not shown me the uh, the original 1602 storyline. Been in love with that book since then. The art has been amazing. The writing has been great. The characters have been really strong. Really, really enjoyed it. I'm sad to see it come to an end, but well done, Ryan. Mm-hmm. The very important line that she wanted us to share. Oh, yes. I'll leave this one to you. 
So the what the the lesbian three or no? <laughs> How'd she word it? I'm trying to think of her wording. The, the three way in the sky. The three way in the sky. Can't be here beca- she can't be here because of yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, Marguerite Ben is all about the sexy time. Yes. Putting that out there, but um, it is a well good pick. We encourage if you've been reading along with us this whole time for that series, and we hope that you picked it up and read it and enjoyed it. You can also comment about it and let us know what you thought about it. Definitely. So in a, in a galaxy far, far away. Okay, so Star Wars number 18. Dun, 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 dun. Written by Jason Aaron. Uh, that's a very familiar name we've had here today. Uh, pencils by Lionel Francis Yu. Inks by Jerry Alan Gillen. Alan Gillen? Colors Sunny Go. This one starts off, once again, uh, with the previous, when I did the, the droids uh, issue last last uh, podcast i'd mentioned how they very much captured the uh, 1980s 1990s look of of the star wars comics which is something i kind of dig even though it's not like a phenomenal style of art but basically what happens is you've got you start off in this one with luke and han and they're kind of talking about how they they're not making it they're basically not making any money so luke talks han into letting him fly the millennium falcon not much to see there. Kind of a gratuitous scene. Uh, then it kind of jumps off into right in. That's where they became uh, criminal nerf herders. I think was the. Those are the nerfs that there's. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. To me, it's like when I saw that scene, I was like, okay, why did they even put that in there? Then we jump right into basically this lady getting choked by. By a fucking droid, which I thought was a really good transition. <laughs> Santa. Well, if you hadn't read them previously, that was a chick who claimed to be Han's wife. So that was very gratifying for me. Yeah, not not a fan. <laughs> Chris is not a fan of Santa. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Santa Solo. Gotcha. I was I was just a fan of, you know, somebody just getting the shit joked out of him. Somebody else was like, ah, I've almost got it fixed. Oh, that was funny. And that was Dr. Afra. I was like, woohoo! Dr. Afra. Yeah. Badass. Princess Leia has these these two other people with her and they're basically going through this prison where all the inmates are getting killed off and they're trying to catch up. There's also this, uh, ar- this small group of droids that are armed to the teeth uh, running around. So it's kind of two different things going on at the same time. You have R2 and C-3PO, of course, hanging out with their droid buddies who I assume they're confusing are on their side. I think they're hostages. Are they hostages? I, I, it wasn't clear to me because they were talking about, you know, oh, you guys stand out in front and, you know, guard this hallway. It sounded like they were almost like leaving them with a flank, even though they were unarmed. Well, I mean, the, this, the Star Wars comic and the Darth Vader comics have really hit on the ideas of droids, like, you know, being sentient and like having this like undercurrent of like rebellion in them. Gotcha. Then you've got this other mysterious figure that's running through blasting uh basically killing off all, all the different people who are in, in there. Um, really good scene. This this mysterious character walks in and walks into a secure, security cell and says, hey, you know, you're in this maximum security cell. There's got to be a reason. And there's this guy, grizzled, you know, long hair, long beard. Obviously, he's just been in there forever. And he says three reasons. Those three Jedi whose throats I slit. Which I thought was an awesome line. <laughs> then at one point or another, the guy tries to tries to shiv him, you know, obviously assuming he can get out or maybe he's sensing what's about to happen to him. But they get into this fight and so they're grappling over this knife and then eventually the the masked uh, character ends up s- stabbing him with his own knife 
and then he tells him he tells him right beforehand. So I'm assuming that this guy's probably like an Imperial Guard or somebody who's like loyal to Palpatine. But he tells him, uh, "Your your Emperor Palpatine yeah, is a Sith good. Lord." And the guy's like, "What?" You know. And then he fucking shanks him. It was that was a great scene. I fucking love that. And then he keeps on moving through. Then it looks like I now I had trouble interpreting the next scene where it was like maybe he was speaking he she we're not really sure who yet but over the it looked like over the loudspeaker they were kind of like taunting Princess Leia as she's trying to go through and do what she's supposed to do. I wasn't really certain on that. That was kind of unclear. Yeah, they keep opening basically uh, the so this is like a prison that's floating around the sun, and Leia's trying to rescue everyone. And he's basically telling her, you know, you can't save everyone. And he keeps opening up the doors awesome. and, like, sucking them out into space and, like, into the sun. Yeah, so she's running around trying to catch them. They end up getting in this gunfight with yeah. the droids that are holed up. A uh, At first, they're, they're basically pinned down outside the room because there's a, a droid with basically this, you know, machine gun that's just kind of unloading down the hallway. And then uh, one thing I did forget to mention was that, that droid that was choking out uh, the other character before suddenly gets up and walks over and walks up to the other droid and, and destroys that droid because obviously uh, What's-Her-Name had correctly programmed it when she said she had. Dr. Afra. Yes, Dr. Afra. So that was kind of interesting. And then they kind of get, they have the reunion and then they basically leave us with a cliffhanger. I liked the part where R2 basically trips C-3PO into the other robot to cause like a distraction. Yes. I thought that was pretty funny. And three of you thought he was doing fisticuffs. Fisticuffs, yes. Very exciting. <laughs> He's just falling on top of people and knocking them down. At one point, Sana and Dr. Afra are getting into it at near the end. And she, and Dr. Afra talks about, cause basically this, you can tell they have some history, obviously. And she mentions, you need to get over your crushes and da 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 da. So I think, I, I'm, I'm almost thinking that maybe Dr. Afra and Han and Sana had like, all knew each other. Because why else would they mention crushes? And then Sana on the same thing. And Dr. Afra is very Han-esque. And he's just showing up. I'm thinking that there might have been, like, some history going on in there. Which, actually, I'm weirdly okay with him and Dr. Afra having been a thing before. <laughs> because Dr. Afra is awesome. <laughs> and it would make more sense. But I also would like to mention that Leia in this is how I feel the Leia comics should have I been. I was just yeah. going to say, Leia in this is badass. Like, whoever is drawing... I'm sorry, I don't remember the artist's name on this. Like, the art style's a little rougher than some of the stuff we've seen before, but the way he draws Leia, I think you can really tell he likes Leia and he wants her to be badass. Yeah, like, they do a lot of... Like, in the, a lot of, like, in the 90s movies, there's those, like, scenes where, like, people, like, have that slow-mo walk. Like, mm -hmm. they do it in, like, Reservoir Dogs and, like, things like that. And there are a lot of panels yeah. here where it looks like Leia is basically doing that. Out of all the new recent Star Wars comics that have been going on, the Leia series was the weakest out of all of them. Absolutely. And so when you see her in these, I'm like, this is what it should have been. I would have read this, the story of these three women tooling around. And then there was something I wanted to ask you guys if you picked up on. This mysterious person who's going around and shooting everything and who's also standing on top of the Millennium Falcon at the end, mm -hmm. that is the outfit that Leia wears when she goes into Jabba's palace. And I'm wondering if this is where she gets that. Is it? Mm. Wait, hold on. Is it? Is it? Oh, are you sure? It, is, it looks a little bit... It doesn't look brown and tan. It, it looks... No, I don't think that is. I don't think I'm it is. I'm pretty sure it is. Well, we'll we'll see as it plays out, okay. but I, I think it is. So, okay, readers, uh, listeners, whatever you are, what do you think? Is that the outfit from Return of the Jedi, or is it something... We want to know. It actually reminds me a lot of... Uh, there's a Firefly, I think, episode with like a bounty hunter. 
yeah, that's kind of the, the feel that I got from this as well. But. Yeah, but yeah, he's on the Falcon, but then uh, that kind of works. But then they say we got your transmission, which means that because at one point they that Doctor Afra says she's using that robot to try to send a transmission. The droids inside the with three uh, PO and R two say we stopped the transmission. They were trying to get one out. But then Luke and Han show up saying, we got your trans, so... I thought they got there really fast. That was the only part of the story that I thought was... Kind of put me out of it, you know? But, but other than that, yeah, I really like that. I'm curious to see what's going on with... I'm just glad to see more Dr. Aphra, personally. And now it's like a, it's like the other side of the story we've been watching. We've been seeing her all this time alone or with Vader. And now to see the, her on this side is gonna, is really interesting to me. I love the coloring in it. The Like I said, they, they capture that 1980s, 1990s Star Wars comics feel. I like that a lot. I dug the story. This character who I'm assuming is going to be the villain. I'm just so excited to figure out who the fuck this is. Part of the story I didn't necessarily get with. But then again, I haven't also been following the series once again for the millionth time. So I'm going to give this definitely a good solid three and a half knives to the chest i gave it four who sends us crush <laughs> i will give it four leias hey we have one more we have avengers standoff assault on pleasant hill omega number one so this is the end of the assault on pleasant hill storyline it's from marvel comics uh, it's written by Nick Spencer, art by Daniel Acuna uh, and Angel uh, Valentine, colors by Daniel Acuna uh, and Matt Wilson. So this is the whole Avengers uh, Assault on Pleasant Hill miniseries to me has been really successful. I think it tells a, a coherent and interesting story. And I think it does what miniseries like this are that run through multiple titles are supposed to do, which is to get you to read titles that you are not necessarily reading. And this has introduced me to some parts of the Marvel Universe that I had not been reading that I probably will continue to read. So I think it's been very successful in that. And I think the story is really interesting. Uh, I thought the thing with Kobik at first I wasn't totally on board with, but I've, I've come to appreciate that character. I feel like this arc uh, has come to a really a pretty satisfying uh, conclusion here with Baron Zemo having all of the, the people captured and basically wants to get Kobik so that he can use the Cosmic Cube to rewrite reality. I also liked, you mentioned it in your last review of, was it New Avengers? Whichever the last one was with Craven and Kobik having their tea party. <laughs> so we get to see more of that, which I thought was a nice little touch of humor in there after having a scene of people with like dynamite, the shield agents like having dynamite strapped to them and being shot in the head and pretty pretty dark stuff. And then you counterbalance it with, with that kind of comedic scene with Craven uh, the Hunter and Kobik having a, a tea party. The the one thing that I, I guess, criticism I had for this series is I felt like the actual conclusion just kind of came down to a fist fight, which, while it was awesome, I didn't feel was quite as satisfying as it could have been. They also, it seems like they were really concerned with setting up some new series that are coming out of this, I felt, which was kind of like to the detriment of the story. It's movies do it, too, where you're where you're really concerned with setting up the sequels rather than telling your, your story. So I think they're setting up... Um, what are they setting up, like Thunderbolts and just, just some other series that are going to come out of this, which are going to be interesting, and I'll read them, but I, I really felt like they were pushing that a little more than it needed to to be for the story. As much as I dislike the fact that it just came down to fisticuffs, everyone did get some really cool like little action scenes that they got to do, and I did like the narration which is kind of hinting at Civil War, Civil War Two that's that's coming, that this was like their moment where they got to be heroes and, you know, fight back to back and make a difference in the world and that this would be the moment that they look back to 
when the war happens to remind them of what you know the goodness that's in the world so i thought that that was the one bit of foreshadowing that i didn't mind i thought that was kind of interesting i mean overall i think the series was a success uh and i i liked it maria hill is i hate her so much (laughs) where she's trying to spin her like her (laughs) bullshit about how you know let's look on the bright side of what happened and that council is just is not having it i was glad that they did not fall for her political spin you know that she's on trial basically for this i also liked the end where the red skull like i thought it was interesting that the red skull in pleasant hill was a priest i thought that was a really interesting choice for him to portray that character that way that i thought they were really trying to say something with it and now with this i think i understand what they're saying that he's saying he doesn't want to conquer the world Basically, that he wants to conquer like the hearts and minds of the world. That he wants to to inspire. That he wants. He doesn't want slaves. He wants followers. He wants people who willingly do what he what he says. And at the end, you've got all these like neo Nazis in a bar. It was a good comic. had had a lot of good action scenes in it. Had some comedy in there along with it. Uh, as you know, as per typical, like last time I I, I had reviewed the the uh, the previous step on this one. It's definitely one to catch up on. Uh, I, I, I'm definitely wanting to fall back and get the whole story. But yeah, it's good shit. That's all I could say. <laughs> I'm going to give it, yeah, probably like three and a half Kubiaks. Uh, whatever her name is. Kobe. <laughs> um, it's definitely a good series. Um, it, it's, it, I mean, it's just classic comic-y goodness, you know, but they're, it's, it's both serious and has funny parts in it. You know, what else can you really ask for? Great artwork. It's fun. You know, it's it's great superhero fair. Boom. So those are the books we read this week. To check our we- weekly pull lists and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolorednerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Colored Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds!